we are, we're walking through the book of Matthew, if you've been with us, and uh, just going verse by verse throughout the book. And um, this week we're going to be talking about the transfiguration, or if it was a Friends episode, we would call it the one where Jesus glows in the dark. Um, crazy story, and I need the kids who are here with me, can you guys help me today? I need you to help me tell this story, okay? Can you guys do this? We've got some, some motions, the adults have to do this as well. Some words that we're going to use a lot today, there are three of them. The first one is Moses. So when you hear the word Moses, I want you to give me a big Moses beard. Can you give me that big Moses beard? There you go. All right, so we got Moses, all right? Next one, glory, and I want you to give me glory. There we go. Moses, glory. So glorious. All right, last one. Sun. Now, I'm taller than my dad, but, but oftentimes the sun might be short. So we're just going to do duck down. Sun. All right, sun. So we got Moses. Glory. Sun. All right, you guys are ready. All right, we're going to tell this story together. Um, it is good to be back, uh, kind of. You, you could say that this is a glimpse. What we have here today is a glimpse. Not all of our people are back yet. Um, and, and for parents who will be corralling squirmy children throughout the service, this is a glimpse where you're going, this, this better not be um, the full reality going forward. This Sunday is but a glimpse of the glory. There you go. You guys are here. The glory divine, where we're not fully back, but it's a glimpse of what it will be in the coming weeks. And the full glory will be when you hear the wonderful words, kids sixth grade and down are dismissed to their classrooms, right? We look forward to that day. And we, we joke about that, but we are actually excited about having the full families here. Uh, we know there's grace in the midst of the chaos. We're not here to be doing slick programs. We're here to be the family of God. Amen. So we're glad to have everybody here with us today. But in today's passage, we're going to see a glimpse, a glimpse, a small glimpse of Jesus's glory in a well-known story called the Transfiguration um, today's story, you might be confused when you first read it. You go, does Jesus just, does Matthew, as he's telling this story, just randomly want us to know that Jesus can light up? Like, why, what, what is the point of this story? Well, in the, the Hebrew culture, one of the ways they would often tell story was through what we call a chiasm. So everybody say chiasm. Chiasm. It's a weird word. And what it means is there are, there are parts of the story where if you looked in the middle of the story, where you'd have the same amount of letters or words on either side, at the center, the literal center of the story, this was the main point. The main point would be in the center of the story. And as you look at today's story about Jesus' transfiguration, what you see in these nine verses is it works toward the center, and at the center of today's story is verse 5, when God speaks from a cloud and he says, This is my son... With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And it's at the center of this story that we're going to see the main point that Jesus wants us to know today, what Matthew is trying to tell us. And so what we hear from this, what we hear from God's word this morning, is this is my beloved son. First point, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. With whom I am well pleased, he said. We're going to learn that Jesus is the ultimate treasure of God. 
And he says, listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus is the ultimate authority of God. We're going to take these out of order, but this is going to be our outline for this morning. Number one, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Now, verse one, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. You notice out of Jesus' 12 disciples, here he brings three of them with him. This is his inner core. We see him with them only several times in our story. Now, remember, we said that, that God, there, Jesus is doing some things that he doesn't want everyone to know about and his healings and this one today is top secret and he's only bringing the inner three with him up this mountain for what they're about to experience it says he led him up to a high mountain by themselves just the three of them and jesus now we don't know which mountain some say it's mount tabor some say it's mount Hermon. we're not told doesn't really matter the main thing is there is imagery here that they're on this mountain top verse two he was transfigured before them now what does that mean transfigured we know it's a, a Harry Potter class at Hogwarts, but what are we talking about in our story today? Um, well, the word transfigure means to change into another form. To change into another form. So if any of you have seen Transformers, right? This is Bumblebee, and he changes from the form of a car into a robot. Changed from one form to another. So what form is Jesus changing into? Well, the verse 2 tells us, so we don't have to guess. It says, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This is incredible. Um, later... Peter writes about this. One of the three that's on the mountain would encourage you to read the whole chapter of his second, second letter, 2 second Peter 1. He talks about this moment when he was on the mountain. And, and the phrase he uses, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Everybody say majesty. Majesty. This word, it, it's a Greek word, megaleotis. Say megaleotis. That's a, good, that's a good try. I don't actually know how to pronounce it either, but it's a, it's a dead language. We're going to move on. Um, but the word, what do you see at the beginning of that word? Mega, right? Mega. What does that mean? Mega, it, it's big. It's something big and powerful and stately. Earlier this week, Jill and I went up to Hope, and we hiked into the mountains. And I'll tell you, I love seeing mountains, especially when at the, at the top of them, they are shrouded in one of those mysterious clouds. And there's this stately, grand nature of a mountain. But I'll tell you what, it's a little scary. Like, I love looking at it and being awed by it. But if I was to actually go up into that part of the mountain, covered in cloud, where it's windy and snowy, it would be a little scary for me. So we didn't go up that high. Um, some say that this, this majesty, this megaleotis of Jesus, was the glory come on, that he had before, before he came to earth. He, he prays in, in the garden. He says, Father, would you restore me it would, to that glory that I had before I came to earth? What happened when he came to earth? Philippians 2 says he cloaked, he cloaked himself in humanity, that he emptied himself, right, as he came to earth, not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, but one day, this is also the glory that we're going to see when he comes back in Revelation 1, it uses these same expressions that Jesus' face will shine and his clothes will shine bright when he returns one day. And so what we see here is the awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping beauty, power, and glory of God himself. This is amazing. Now verse 3 says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses... And Elijah talking with him. Now all of a sudden, these two guys appear. 
And these guys aren't living anymore. So what in the world is going on? And why these two in particular? Was this just like an Old Testament slot machine where they just picked them at random? Why these two guys? It it wasn't. Let me tell you what was going on here. Um, Both of these men also on a mountain had a revelation from God. Mount Horeb, or as it is also called, Mount Sinai. Now, the first one, um, Moses... In Exodus chapter 3, he has a vision of God in this burning bush. And in this burning bush, what what is he told? Go and set my people free out of slavery from Egypt. And then when they do, and they come back to this mountain, he goes up again, and in Exodus 19, same mountain, he receives the law. The law is God's list of commands that tell his people how they're supposed to live as his holy, set-apart people. And then, do they do that? We know that they don't. As you read the Old Testament story, they fail again and again. So God sends these prophets to remind them of how they're supposed to live according to God's law. And one of the greatest prophets was Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19, back on this same mountain again at Horeb, God speaks to Elijah in a whisper. Remember, after the wind, after the earthquake, after the fire. And in this whisper, he tells Elijah, I want you to remind my people that they've abandoned my law, my covenant, that they've turned back to the ways of slavery in Egypt and sin. And what happened when each of these prophets would say these kind of words? They would kill them. He says, you've killed all of the prophets leading up to to Elijah. And so here what we see, this Moses and Elijah, is that Moses is the mediator, the go-between that gave the people God's law. And that Elijah was the greatest prophet that Israel ever had, reminding them of that law. So what do we see summed up in these two men? The law and the prophets. Remember we said that's the way that Matthew refers to the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. And interestingly enough, the last three verses of the Old Testament point from these two men toward Jesus. Malachi chapter 4. It says this, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him where? At Horeb, on the mountain, for all Israel. Remember the law. And then he says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He's going to say at the end of this story, Elijah's already come in the form of John the Baptist making the way. What did John do? He said, repent. What does that word mean? Turn. And here's our last verse. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He says, these two men were saying, you need to live the way God tells you to live. And if you don't, there is destruction coming. There is punishment coming. This great revelation from God. However, both Moses's and Elijah's revelations were incomplete without Jesus. Let me explain. I need a volunteer. I need, I need somebody without a driver's license. Who can who come up here? I need, I need, a, I need a, a younger volunteer. Manny. Come on. All right, Superman. Come on up right here. Now, you know I'm the pastor of this church, right? 
right? Like, like kind of like the king. Like you think about a king or a, like a, a supreme potentate, something like that, right? So, um, as the pastor, I'm in charge. Now, Manny, as the pastor in charge, I am revealing to you what, what I need you to do for me. There, you can't see it right now with the bright lights, but there's a ball up in that vent. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 look at me. Here's what, here's, you can't see it, I know. It's up there. Just trust, just go along. Okay. I want you to jump up there and grab that ball. Sorry, that's going to be... Did you just say no to the pastor? I just, to- I just told you to jump up and get that ball, right? So I'm t- I-, I revealed to Manny what I want him to do. Jump up and grab that ball out of the air vent. Now, I also want you to know that if you don't do what I'm saying to do, I'm going to have to kill you. Is that I really need that ball, right? <laughs> That's it. How about a timeout? We'll work out with your parents. We'll work out the punishment. But, but if you don't get up there, you're going to be in big trouble. All right? You got that? Now, um, I've given you two very important revelations, Manny. What you need to do and what's going to happen if you don't do it. But what have I left out? Did I tell you how you could go? Did I give you the ability to get up there and grab that ball? I didn't. Now, what if I could tell you also that I, as the pastor, have some superpowers? And then I can actually transform you into a bird. And you can fly up there and grab that ball. How cool would that be? Should, should we try it? Uh, sure. <laughs> no, that wasn't the answer. We should have worked this out. Uh, that's where all illustrations break down at some point, Manny. I actually don't have the power to do that. But if I did, I would totally send you up there. Let's give it up for Manny. Thank you, Manny. All right. Now, the law of Moses revealed God's demands for perfection. They told us what we were supposed to do. Go get that ball. And they told us what would happen if we didn't meet up those demands, right? There would be death. But the the law itself, because of our flesh, Scripture says, it, it left us helpless until Christ came to bring the possibility of fulfilling what the law told us to do. And in the same way, just like the law told us what to do but didn't give us the power, Elijah and all the prophets, their whole job was to proclaim the coming of this Messiah, prepare the people's hearts, like John the Baptist, to repent and receive their king. But if there's no Jesus, if there's no Messiah, if there's no king, then there's no fulfillment. They have nothing to point the people to. These two, Moses and Elijah, they, they're, Jesus is saying, they're pointing to me. And without me, you're staring up at that ball in the air vent with no hope of being able to do and be who God has called you to do and be. Which is why the center of this story and the center of our story, we hear God's voice with the greatest revelation in human history. He says, Oh, Jesus first says, this is, remember what Jesus said? I, I've not come to abolish the law, but to the law and prophets, the Old Testament, but I've, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. They were pointing to Jesus. And then we hear God's word. This is my beloved son. Very good. This is my beloved son. Now, this is the second time we've heard God say this. When was the first time? Do you remember in our story earlier? It was in Matthew chapter 3. And what was going on? This is Jesus' baptism. This was his coronation as king. Now, what we see here, the reason God's saying it again, is he wants to show that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. He's showing that this is a greater revelation than he had given through either one of them. This is not just another mediator. This is not just another prophet. This is God's son 
This is God himself in human form. As John, one of the other three that was there, will later say in his own gospel, written after Matthew, he says, he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, I was there. I actually saw it. This is what he's referring to. I saw Jesus in that state. But then this is what he says in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Now listen, we need that revelation. We need to know that we fall short. That, that's a necessary revelation. But the revelation that we need even more, that's even more beautiful is what he says next. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, it's God God's greater revelation that not only do you fall short, but through Jesus, through Jesus, the truth of who he is is going to give us the ability to go get that ball. Or as John, another John, John Bunyan said it, and I love, I've quoted this many times, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. The law tells us there's a ball up there that you're supposed to get. There's a standard you're supposed to live up to. There's a holiness that you're supposed to be like, but the law can't give us the ability to do it. Then he says, but far better news the gospel brings. Why? It bids us fly and gives us wings. It says, there's the ball, and I'm actually going to give you the ability through my son to be able to be the people that I've called you to be. God's word from heaven is this is my son, God himself, who can do what no other man could ever do. But if Jesus is who he says that he is, now, what implications are there for my life here? Let's look at the next one. Number two, Jesus is the ultimate authority of God, the ultimate authority. Now, verse four, Peter, oh, Peter, right? Always oh, getting into trouble, Peter. He said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Yeah, no kidding. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what's going on here? All three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all talk about this story. And all three of them seem, in one way or another, to hint that Peter's off base here. But they don't exactly tell us why. I think there's good intention, but Peter, like us, he's in process, right, of learning and growing. I think part of our answer comes in God's response. I love here, God just cuts Peter off and says, he was still speaking. We should build some tech. And God says, listen to me. He says, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, here's God speaking, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, interestingly, this last part wasn't in the, the baptism revelation. He just said the first two parts. This part, listen to him, is added in here. So I think we need to, we need to key in on this expression and, and out of this, I, I see three some possibilities here, which might be part of our answer as to what's going on with Peter's words. Number one, um, as usual, Peter is quick to do something. He's known to be a little hasty in his actions. Good, good intentions, but a little hasty. And maybe God is saying, Peter, you need to slow your roll. You need to stop for a minute and not do something, but listen. Be slow to speak and quick to listen to my son. Second thing, I think Peter may again be trying to prevent the cross. What does he want to do? He wants to build three tents or tabernacles, once for each of these three glowing amigos. And every good Jew, they knew how to build a tent. They had this, every year they had the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is another word for this word tent. There's a big tent party every year. So they all were tent constructors. And, and perhaps Peter is like, this is awesome. 
We're here with the glorified Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Let's just camp out. Let's stay here in what's so good. But remember what Peter was rebuked for last chapter? When Jesus told him he had to die and he pulls him aside and goes, No, Jesus, you can't die. So get behind me, Satan. God's will, God's plan for salvation of all mankind is to leave this mountaintop and to go to a hilltop where he would die for the sins of the world. Now Peter needs to appreciate the glimpse that he's getting here on the mountaintop, but also recognize that once again, the path to ultimate glory is going to be through the path of suffering to the cross, and he cannot prevent Jesus from accomplishing God's will. Number three, Peter puts all three of these guys on an even playing field. Notice here he wants to build all three men a tabernacle. Um, Now, what's interesting, once again, Peter may be missing the fact that Jesus isn't like these other two men. He he is God. And what did Solomon say when he was building the tabernacle? He recognized, God, you can't be contained by a building. We can't stuff you inside of four walls. And so here we see... God, with all three standing there, notice what he says. He doesn't say, hey, look at these three guys. Listen to them. What does he say? Listen to him. So kids, if you've got your, one of your parents and then two of your siblings standing next to each other, which one are you listening to? There's, there's one right answer here, right? We listen to our parents, right? Our authority. Yeah, good job. She's pointing out the right one. We listen to our parents. We listen to our authority, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Moses and Elijah's words, they only carry weight if and when they are God's words being spoken through them. Jesus alone is the word of God. Jesus alone is the word made flesh. Now, as I think through these points, I see my own Peter-like tendencies in my own life. I don't know if you're resonating with some of these. Um, The first one I see here is that I am often quick to speak, but I am slow to listen. Quick to speak, slow to listen. Marriage has been highlighting this for me very graciously. Um, During this pandemic, I've also noticed how quick I am to see a situation and go, okay, here's what we need to do. I'm going to make a YouTube video and tell everybody what's coming up next, right? We're going to have an online form. I'm quick to to speak, to, to act, but oftentimes I am slow to listen in prayer and say, God, what are you doing here? What's your heart here? What would you have for us? We need to spend a lot more time on our knees and a lot less time doing this. Secondly, I see that I want the glory without the cross. I love the way that Ross said this last week. We, we want the comforts of the king without conformity to the king. That, that we so often, like Peter, we, see, we like bright, shiny Jesus. We like flannel graph Jesus who looks pretty. But we don't like to see, we don't like to think about agony-stricken Jesus, bloodied, hanging on the cross Jesus. And I want to say, let's pitch a tent and just stay in the good things in life and and, and what I label good things in life. Because if Jesus had to suffer, if God had Jesus suffer, then what's that mean for me? Again, Ross said last week, the mission of the church is victorious, but the manner is unglorious. The path to victory is through defeat. The path to life is through death. And many times, I'm honest, I don't want to walk that road. Number three, I don't want Jesus to be my sole authority. Like Peter, remember when he put Moses and Elijah on even ground. I often do this with Jesus' authority and my own will. I often say, I'm great at obeying someone until I disagree. Right? 
that I will follow Jesus until I think my way is better and I fail to trust him in what he's calling me into. And, and, and we do this, right? We, we will say, I will follow you, Jesus, until I disagree with you. And in the words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Man, I sh- you miss my worship leading, don't you? Um, this is not how it works. If Jesus is God's only son, if he is the king, if he is God, if he is the savior, he's the only voice we listen to. Listen to him. My way, he says. His way. So is, let me ask you, is he your sole authority? And I don't just mean do you give lip service to that. By the way that you live, And I don't know about you, but I have so many, my own desires, other voices that crowd in. I am listening to so many other things than just Jesus' voice on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis. This is called idolatry. The call as a Christian is to listen to Jesus' voice alone as our sole authority. Third point, Jesus is the ultimate treasure of God. I love this. Why does it say here, Jesus says, God says, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. What does it mean, and why is God well pleased with Jesus? I see three things I want to draw out. Number one, Jesus is God's only son. They're one and the same, right? Jesus is God. And, and so Jesus, remember we talked about the dance in the Trinity. Jesus is God's ultimate treasure. He says, that's my boy, and I love him. See, I think about this, um, when, when Jill and I were hiking, I'm learning more and more of what this means to be one flesh, right? We united with somebody in this way. When I used to hike, I never gave a thought about bears, right? Didn't care if I lived or died. I guess that sounds a little grim. But, um, I, I, but now that I've got somebody in my life and the thought of losing her, I don't like that thought, right? My greatest treasure. And so, so I, I, I put her out in front of me like it's bear bait. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, man, I got to take care of her, right? I got to be the protector, and so I went out and bought a bear bell. <laughs> and I bought some bear spray. So that bear comes, I, she wouldn't let me buy a gun. She's like, I don't trust you with that thing. You're going to shoot me, not the bear, right? So here I am protecting my bride with the bear spray. Bear bell, ding, ding, ding. I mean, if there's a bear, it's going to want to face that, right? They got what's coming to them. So here I am defending my greatest treasure. And I think of God and his greatest treasure, Jesus I love him more than anything on planet earth. And then when I think of our God sending his greatest treasure to come to this world, and he sacrifices it, and he watches him be brutally murdered, that not only tells me how much he treasures Jesus, but tells me how much he treasures me and you. Because he wants to call us sons and daughters too. And so he sends his greatest treasure to die so that we, the orphans, might be adopted as his children once again. Number two, we see that Jesus was the only man who could please God. He's the only one that he could say, I'm well pleased with. None of the rest of us are good. Our hearts have turned away. We are not well pleasing to him in our own merits. And if we heard God's voice, if we were on that mountaintop, seeing Jesus' glory, hearing God's voice coming from this cloud— the way the disciples react, this is how I think we would react. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I would be too. I love the response of Jesus. Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when, Je- when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus 
only. Moses and Elijah have gone away, and it's only Jesus there. Only Jesus can tell us not to fear in God's presence. Why? Because only Jesus can bring us, the sinners who are not well-pleasing to him, into God's presence without that wrath that we would deserve on our own. We can come in his name, in his righteousness and holiness and be received. How? That brings us to our third point. Jesus' covenant does what Moses' old covenant could never do, and that's transform hearts. Transform hearts. This is so beautiful. Moses, excuse me, Jesus is what, no, Matthew has wanted us to see over and over again that Jesus is the better Moses. When, when Moses was up on the mountain and received God's law, this crazy thing happened. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, it's a big hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So here his face lights up just from looking at the presence of God. And when he comes down, the people start covering their faces. They go, we don't, even, we don't even want to look at you, Moses, as we see the glory of God shining on you. But the difference here is that Jesus, it's not God's glory shining on him. It's actually shining in him. He is the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, it brings out this parallel so well. Where, where Paul says, he says that first covenant, the law, it shows us, it condemns us. It shows us that we're sinful. It shows us that we deserve to die. And if, if that first covenant was so glorious that Moses' face would shine and people would be afraid to look at it, how much more glorious is this second covenant, this better word that Jesus has come to give us life, his glory in us. See, every human approach to God can at best, at best, make us look good on the outside. We can change our behavior, we can have some light shining on our face, but we cannot change our hearts. This is what only Jesus could do. In verse 18, he says this, and we all, with unveiled face, now in Christ, the veil can be removed and we can behold him beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that word. The word is metamorpho. Say metamorpho. Nailed it. It's the same exact word we have here in Matthew 17. When he's transfigured, it's the same word to be changed into another form. This formation, this is, this is what's going to happen to you and I. He says we are transformed into the same image. We start to look like Christ. We start to become like Christ from one degree of glory to another. He is going to change us from the inside out. As we behold him and believe him, what's going to happen is we're going to start to become like him. His heart will become our heart. How is that going to happen? He says at the end of the verse, for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. He actually places his good and well-pleasing spirit in us. It's not just us trying to mimic God outwardly. Our hearts actually become as his hearts. This is beautiful. And remember we said God's ultimate treasure is what or who? It's Jesus. And as our hearts become like his hearts, he becomes our greatest treasure as well. This is the metamorphosis that takes place. See, I can't jump higher and try harder to get up and grab that ball out of the air vent. I needed to become something new. I needed to become the kind of person that could fly and could be what God has called me to be. 
This is not behavior change. I'm not just a Christian because I stopped looking at pornography. I'm not just a Christian because I'm helping more old ladies across the street from six feet away right now. (laughs) Just kind of directing them. This is not just outside behavior change. As I behold Jesus, he's going to give me a new heart, his heart, so that his desires become my desires. And what I'm going to start to want more than anything is his will and his fame being spread everywhere. So we, we close this up. We're called to behold him. We, we are called, we, we need to know that first revelation that we can't get up there and get that ball. That we have fallen short. We need to believe that truth today. That we are sinners. But even more so, we need to behold the beautiful truth that through Jesus we're saved. That through Jesus dying in our place and giving us his life that is well-pleasing to God, a transformation can start to happen. And we believe him. Are you listening to his voice and no one else's today? There's one way. Not by putting more leg into it and trying to up and get that ball but to freely receive his wings. And what's going to happen as we behold him and believe him, we're going to start to become like him. When he becomes our greatest treasure, this glimpse, we talked about this glimpse, this glimpse of glory, it reminds us of where our true hope is. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, our hope is not in a pandemic ending. Our hope is not even in one day living in this really cool heavenly mansion. The hope that we have is that one day we will live in the presence of this Jesus that was shining on the mountaintop. It's, it's him and him, not what he gives us, but him himself that will satisfy us and alone. So we ask and then we, we pray that this, this was to encourage the disciples to say that one day I want to give you a glimpse of who I really am. Because we're about to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And not just Jesus, but the disciples who would follow him. These three that are named, they're actually the only three of the original apostles that are named in the book of Acts. And each of them suffer for Jesus. As they hold on to this glimpse of what they saw on the mountaintop. So that as they pass through the path of suffering, they would hold on to this encouragement. May we this morning hold on to the encouragement as we see this glimpse of who he is and what's coming for us. The morning star has risen, the dawn has broken, but one day and one day soon, the full glory of the risen Jesus will return. Father, we thank you that you gave these three men a glimpse on the mountain, that they would see who you really are, to know that this king who came, who looked just like an ordinary man, was no ordinary man. This was God himself. And the glory of God in the person of Christ would come. But Father, that, 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 you, that your son would surrender that glory to suffer and die on a cross, that you would watch your greatest treasure killed in my place so that we might get the full taste, not just a glimpse, but the whole smorgasbord of who Jesus is one day. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Pray for those who don't know Jesus in this room, that today they would behold him, to believe the word of Moses, that we fall short as sinners, but to believe the better revelation from God, that Jesus is fully well-pleasing in his sight, and in him we can be too, that we would turn from our sins, as Elijah had called us to, and put them fully on Jesus. And as we believe him and listen to his voice alone, 
that we would be the people who would become like you, that your hearts would become our hearts, that we would love other people in this crazy time of a pandemic when everybody's got different opinions and different persuasions. If there's ever a time that we could be broken up into disunity, it's right now. But Father, it's, it's your, Jesus' heart of peace and love in us that will bind us in the Spirit's unity, that we would become more and more like him in the way that we treat one another, but ultimately in the way that we treasure and trust Jesus more than anybody else. Would you form that in my heart? Father, I want to want Jesus more than anything and be willing to suffer, be willing to do whatever he calls me to do, not say I'm doing it my way, but to do it his way, the better way. So we look forward, we hold on to this hope and encouragement that beautiful day when he comes back for his bride. It's in his beautiful, well-pleasing, majestic, glorious name that we pray. Amen.